Why don't you turn, turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. We're in a, a series of messages that we call points of passion. Points of passion. It's kind of my word for the year, passion. Um, passion about the things of God. Passion about the presence of God, the house of God, the word of God. Um, I, I just... Um, I feel like God's doing something in my heart. I'm trying to trying to share it with you as best I know how. But, but I, um, we talked about this last week. Hopefully, you if you, listen, if you weren't here, um, go to YouTube or through the app or however you keep up podcasts, whatever you do, and get last week's message uh, as well. And uh, because I just I, I want everyone to track together on this. We're talking about passion. And the truth of it is we all have passion and you know that. And I could go through this analogy that some people say they don't have passion, but you do, you have passion. And we have people like, oh, why do people worship so passionately? I'm just not an emotional person, but you are. Because if I found the right political issue or talked about the right politician or the right sports team, or the right hunting or fishing gear, equipment or trip, right? The right gun, whatever it is. If I, if I, if I went to your Pinterest, that's for girls. I, I know how to find the guy's passion, but I'm not a girl, you know? So y'all have different passion too about different things as well. But we could find out, you know, if we looked at your Pinterest, we could find out what's your passion because you got a board for it, <laughs> Right. And so the truth of the matter is where passion is just sometimes our passion is misplaced. It's, it's, it's the truth of it is we steward our passion. We have to direct our passion. Um, and that's why I love Psalm 69 where David says, your pa- the passion for your house has consumed me. And, and what I see there is, is he is just caught up in passion with God and he's directing his passion towards God because we know when David directed his passion towards Bathsheba, that got him in trouble. So it wasn't a passion issue. It was where it was directed was the problem. Right. And so I want us to put passion in the right place to direct it where it needs to be. And so that's what we're talking about. So we're in Matthew chapter 15 today and uh, Matthew chapter 15. So this is the the last year of Jesus ministry. So um, the way the gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke work, uh, Matthew and Mark and Luke are synoptic gospels, meaning they're they're similar. They're similar in timeline. They, They cover similar events and happenings. Um, that's why they're synoptic. Um, and so, so the way most, uh, the synoptic gospels really work is they kind of jump from kind of the birth of Jesus about that time. And they kind of move to the last year of Jesus and take us through the resurrection. John, uh, wrote his gospel last. His is a little bit different, uh, in that he covers more of the first part of Jesus ministry. That's why you have water being turned into wine, um, in the gospel of John, but not in the other gospels, because that was the first miracle Jesus did. And you got a love of God who will do his first miracle to keep the party going. Amen. And so, um, so anyways, that's the first, that's for, so that's the way John. So, so when we're in Matthew, we're really this, this, what's happening here is in the last year of Jesus ministry. And so there's been a lot of rumors about Jesus. He's done a lot of good things. So in Matthew 15, he's still ministering in Galilee. This is Galilean ministry. Um, but the Pharisees, who he was always making nervous, have sent a delegation down to judge and criticize, I mean, to see what's going on, um, to pray for him, because that's what Pharisees do. Like, I'll pray for you, kind of. And... Um, like religious, have y'all, y'all, I know y'all, y'all aren't religious people, but you've met some that yeah. called with a prayer request to tell you how bad someone was. Yeah. We really need to pray for the pastor. I'll tell you this is what, uh-huh. 
Yeah, so we know how to camouflage gossip and criticism and judgmentalism as a prayer request. So anyways, they'd come down to pray, and, um, <laughs> and they'd send a delegation 75 miles they travel without cars, trains, planes, automobiles, you know, those things. And, and, uh, and so here they are with Jesus. He's fed the 5,000, Matthew 15. This is where we're going to take up. So some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. And they asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Now, time out. Most of the disciples were fishermen. Fishermen don't wash their hands for nothing. You ever been fishing with a fisherman? Have you ever seen a fisherman's hands? Like a real fisherman. Because they will straight up, they will straight up pull a fish out of the water. They will put their hands in its mouth. They will look at it, hold it, measure it, weigh it. They will put it back. They will grab their Twinkie and eat it. <laughs> they will not think twice about this. That's what fishermen do. And a lot of the disciples were fishermen. So, of course, they didn't wash their hands. That's a waste of time. No, truthfully, <laughs> that's why you had to understand about what they're talking about. Just to give you some context. So truthfully, under Mosaic law, hand washing was instituted for priests, for priests, and that's where we get the laver. So after the sacrifice of the brazen altar, the priests would come to the laver and they would wash, and they would wash the blood off their hands, and then they would go about their priestly activities. So it was never really prescribed for all people. This is not the law of God. This is the tradition of man. And what happened as history goes on, the priests stopped washing their hands. And so uh, what the rabbis would do, th th we have a thing called rabbinical law and mosaic law. Mosaic law was the law given by God. Rabbinical law was man's additions right? Man's substitutions and additions and add-ons, you know, it was man's law. So the rabbis had made a law, well, we need to make sure everybody's washing their hands. So they had made this, this whole ceremonial hand-washing thing. It was a ceremony, literally. You, this way you wash your hands, you know, before you could eat bread, literally. This is what it was. And the disciples didn't follow that. So that's why they're like, gasp. And so then Jesus replies, with a you got to like Jesus because they ask him, why won't your disciples wash hands? And Jesus basically always says, why are you a heathen dog that pretends to be godly? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of what he says, but in a real classy way. And so Jesus says it this way. And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? Now, they knew there was a difference between Mosaic and rabbinical. So he's like, you're talking about rabbinical law. Let's talk about God's law. You're talking about man's tradition. Let's talk about God's law. He says, for instance, God says, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father and mother must be put to death. Thank God we're under grace, or I'd been killed when I was 14. <laughs> but you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. Now, time out. And he says, in this way, they don't honor their parents, so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. So time out. What's he telling them? So essentially, this again was, was the law of God was you honored your father and mother, which was to be truthful to them at all times. What they would do is, if their father and mother needed help, which was custom and culture, what they would say is, well, I vowed to give these things to God, which was a lie because they didn't take it and give it to God. They kept it in their house for them, but it was set aside for God, right? 
And so I can't help you because this belongs to God, which is another way of saying when I'm greedy and I don't want to give it, I just say I've set it aside to God, right? And then I just keep it for me while looking real holy. So that's what, that's what they were doing. They had issues. In verse 7, so he says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you this 740 years ago. For he wrote, or from this time, so you could do the math like, you know, 2,700 years ago now. But anyways, these people honor me. This is the words of Isaiah. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. I've been to a few of those churches. Verse 10. Then Jesus called the crowd together. I love it when Jesus like, I mean, he like he totally, totally just hammers the Pharisees and then makes them an object lesson for everyone else. You gotta love this guy. You know what I'm saying? Because he's like, you're all heathen dogs. Everybody gather around. Let's look at the Pharisees. <laughs> Like it's, you know, the Bible is so cool if you just read it. You know what I'm saying? It's like awesome. He's like, oh, y'all are such, y'all are horrible, horrible hypocrites. But everybody gather around. Let's look at the hypocrites. <laughs> and so, so he said to the crowd, "Come here and listen, and try to understand. It's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth." Now, they they were Hebrews, so they had dietary restrictions. They had to eat a certain diet because they believed whatever they ate would defile it. So this is a huge thing that Jesus is saying, listen, under the law, it was all about activity. But under grace, it's all about the heart. And he's saying under the law, it was all about dietary restrictions. But under, under grace, it's about what's happening in your heart, what's going on in your heart, you see. Grace costs you more. Because under religious law, you just, you just do the activity and you're considered righteous. Yeah. Under grace, you could be doing the activity and have a jacked up heart and the heart's all that matters, not the activity. Amen. So grace actually costs you who you are, not what you do. That is so good. Yeah. Oh, I'm under grace. I can do whatever. Nay, nay, buckaroo. Grace means you gave even the insides to God, not just what you do on the outside on Sunday. Amen. I think this is going to be good. <laughs> so he says, you're defiled by the words that comes out. Verse 12, then the disciples came to him and asked, do you realize you offended the Pharisee? I love that question. And I think Jesus is like, do you realize? I don't care. You know, and so... You offended them, Jesus. Do you know Jesus will offend you? Do you know he will? If you're not being offended by him, you may not be that close to him. All right, well, I'll just, just take that for what it's worth. Let it bless you. Set you free, Jesus. Amen. Praise him. Jesus replied, every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted. So just ignore them. They're blind guides leading the blind. And if one of the blind person guides another blind person, they're both going to blindly fall up in a blind ditch. Um, then Peter said to Jesus, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Peter's like stuck on this, right? He's like, I'm Jewish, man. I don't get that. 
And so Jesus said, don't you understand? Anything you eat passes through your stomach, then just goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. And that's what defiles you. For from the heart, look at this, come evil thoughts. Your heart can think. From the heart comes evil thoughts of murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with washed hands could never defile you. I call this message more than motions. More than motions. Um, can we pray together? Um, God, we, we have gathered here. And um, we want to hear you. We want our lives to look like you. Um, God, we, uh, we need you. And so we ask in this moment that God, the Holy Spirit would speak to us, that we would hear your voice, that, that you would guide and transform, renew, that you would redeem, that you would deliver. God, that your word would change us forever. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Have you ever heard the phrase, just going through the motions? To be honest, have you ever been guilty at some place in your life, something, whatever, just going through the motions? We all kind of know what it's like to kind of to kind of go through the motions, to, to look like we're engaged, to look like we're involved, right? I mean, sometimes, have you ever been in one of those conversations with somebody where you're like, uh-huh, mm-hmm, uh-huh, mm-hmm, and you don't know what they're talking about, but it's real important to them, and you may not even know who they are, and... Um, and it's really important to them. And as a pastor, I have to fight this all the time because I have ADD. And people I don't know will stop me somewhere. And, and once I'm out of context, sometimes I'm not sure. And sometimes I've just never met them. You know, like usually I don't forget faces. So if I, if I see you somewhere, you know, I may be in my own world. But if you say hi, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I know you. Hey! And so, um, but as I have met people that I've never had a face-to-face encounter, but maybe they've been or they've heard or something like that. And they're talking like we're friends and they're telling me a story and I'm lost. And I have ADD, so then I'm, I'm, you know, at first I'm really like, yeah, okay, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then I realize it's not, it's going to keep going. I don't really understand. Uh-huh, mm-hmm, uh-huh, mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I can't just go through the motions. I need to tune in. So I'm like, oh, yes, okay, all right. Because I have ADD and I struggle in ways. <laughs> right? And so, so sometimes we can go through the motions in conversations. We can go through the motions in relationships. Sometimes we can go through the motions at work and we're not really being as productive as we could, but we're just getting the basic things done or whatever the case may be. But sometimes we can go through the motions with God. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can be guilty of that. And really, I think that's the danger of, of, a, of, a, of religion, if you really, because religion, unfortunately, you know, if you think about the law and you have these Pharisees, they, they knew the right things to do. But here's the danger. Here's the danger. He, he, he quotes from Isaiah and says, it's not about your motions. It's about your heart. And your motions have convinced you you're close to me while your heart is afar away from me. And here's the danger of church. We can sometimes learn how to do religion. We can learn how to do church. We can learn how to say the right things. We can learn the, to go to life group and to lift our hands. And we even know to shout on that one part of that one song and to clap right there because that's supposed to be the exciting point of the song. And we can go through all those motions and the whole time our heart be. And to me, the danger is just think about this. Here's the danger. You can be farther away from God than you think. That your emotions can convince you you're close to God while your heart is actually moving away from Him. 
but because you know the motions and you know the things to say and, and because you've done it and practiced it and it started pure heartedly. It started with a pure heart. It started out of, of desire, but, but over time, you can actually be going through the motions with God and your heart can be someone else. You can be sitting at church and your heart can be somewhere else. You can be standing in worship and your heart can be somewhere else. Like to me, this is, this is the danger of this, that, that it's possible to believe you're closer to God than you are because you're looking at motions and not discerning heart. It's like a caution. And so that's so what I want to talk about the heart today. Three things, write these down. Number one, the location of your heart is more important than the summation of your actions. The location of your heart, that's why Jesus says, they're, 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 with their lips, they honor me. But with their heart, they're far from me. Look at this. So, so the summation of their actions looks like they're honoring me. But the location of their heart, I can't find them. It's moved away from me. And so he's saying the location of your heart is more important about what's going on with your heart than what it looks like you're doing. It's more important about where your heart is than what your actions portray. That what's going on with the heart. Listen, with God, it's always an issue of the heart. Everything, let me help you, everything's an issue of the heart. The heart is where the soul and the spirit collide. And with God, that is the issue of everything. Think about this. Your heart, actually, that's where belief is. Believe with all your heart. That's where thoughts come from, right? He just said, from, from your heart come these thoughts, right? Your heart, that's my feels. That's my emotions. I mean, it is like the connection of the being. It is like the sum total of who you are on the inside that, that is portrayed on the outside all comes down to this thing called the heart. It's, it's, where, it's the epicenter. It's the epicenter of your life and activities, and that's why he's saying, hey, what's going on with this heart is more important than, than what it looks like you're doing. What's going on, it's, it's always this issue of the heart. He's always dealing with the heart. Go, go to your Bible and look up scriptures about the heart. There's a lot. And so here's, here's the first thing he says is, is actually your heart that determines how close to God you are. It's your heart that determines your relatedness to God. It's, it's not your activity. It's not your actions. It's not the motions. It's your heart. Um, he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Look at James 4, 8. Draw near to God. We love the scripture. It's such an incredible promise to me. Like, I, I just, just think about this. Here's what God's saying. If you want an audience with me, you can have it. I will be as close to you as you want me to be. That's what God's saying. That's incredible. Draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. But how do we draw near to you? He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. In other words, got to wash from sin, got to deal with sin. But then he says this, you got to purify your hearts because your heart's determining how close you are to me. Your heart is what determines how close you are to God. And he's saying, here's this crazy thing about the heart is if you're not careful and you're, and you're not looking at the heart and you start looking at the motions, you may be farther from God than you think. Here's the next thing about the heart that I think is incredible is your heart determines what your life produces. That's why the location of your heart is more important than the summation of your actions. It's, it, what your life produces is not determined by the motions. It's determined by the heart. 
Look at this. This is words of Jesus in red, really important. Luke 6.45 says, The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart. Do you see that? Produces good. So a good person, out of the treasure of what's in his heart, produces good. And an evil person, out of the evil treasure, you could put the same prepositional phrase, of his heart, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the the mouth speaks. Your, your heart, look, out of the goodness of your heart, it produces something. Do you understand that it is actually your heart that produces fruit? Amen. That your heart determines harvest. And, and you got to see this connection. And I'm saying this because sometimes we look in our lives and we don't like the fruit. Well, there's chaos and there's drama and these people this, and this is always the way it goes. And I'm always dealing with this thing and I'm always upset about this and I'm always angry about this. And what I would say is it may not be everyone around you. It may be something inside of you. Because if you're getting fruit in your life that you don't like, it may be coming from what's in your heart. That your heart determines the fruit of your life. This is what the parable of the sower is all about. Mark 4. Your heart is soil and the soil determines what can grow. Amen. Are you with me? And so our hearts actually determine what our lives are producing. So think about this. Our actions can project how we want to be seen, but your heart will portray who you really are. Are you with me? And then I love this, out of the buns of the heart, the mouth speaks. Because if you're sitting here you're like, how do I know what's going on with my heart? Let me help you. In the words of the psalmist, Roxette, listen to your heart. Right? It's calling for you. Were y'all not alive in the 80s? Is this the young crowd or the old crowd? I'm trying to figure out. Because I can shift genres. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. How do I find out what's going on in my heart? Listen to your heart when you're not at church. Because we know how to talk in church, right? Oh, I'm just walking in victory. I'm just forgiving. Praise the Lord. Just loving Jesus. Mm, he's my everything. Right? Oh, my husband's a wonderful man. Okay. But when you're not at life group, when you're not at church, listen to your heart, <laughs> right? Because I don't know if you'd be honest to say this. It's happened to me. I've said things and thought, where did that come from? That was not good. I hope nobody heard that, <laughs> right? Because out of the, so, so our, hearts, our heart determines our relatedness to God. Our heart, our heart determines what our life produces, right? And here's the reality is God wants, listen to me, God wants all your heart. He doesn't want a part. He doesn't want a part of your heart. He wants all of your heart. And sometimes we, we're really good at compartmentalizing. Men are probably better at this than women, but women can do it too. And, and that is we can create these little places um, in our heart for different things. And if we're not careful, we have a little Sunday place. Um, my, my, my oldest son, Luke, he was, uh, when he was, he was so little, um, but he was like me. He loved dessert. 
And um, I always felt like, you know, our church taught about the rapture and the second coming of Jesus and all of that. And I believe in the second coming of Jesus. But I always thought we should eat dessert first in case he comes during the meal. (laughs) Because it would be a crime to leave a chocolate cake or a cheesecake here. Like roast, okay, it's, you know, I mean, I like it. But it's not cheesecake. (laughs) Right? How many are with me on this? Thank you, Jesus, my people, right? My people. And, and so my, my son very much liked his dessert as well. And, and I never forget, you know, as when they're little bitty, you know, and you're trying to feed them and, and you got to make sure they eat their peas and all that. And, and, you're, and, you know, but you're trying not to overfeed them. So this is a balance of when, you, when are you full. And so he learned, you know, to say he's full. So he would say, I'm full. And then he'd pause and say, except for this little place right here. That's saved for dessert. That's what he'd say. I'm full. I'm full, Daddy, except for this little place right here for dessert. And I'm like, my boy, we always save room for dessert. That's a man. That's what I do. I'm never going to get past dessert. Thank you, Jesus. Right now, I'm fasting dessert, and so this is painful to even share these experiences with you. And so, but sometimes, sometimes, listen, sometimes. Um, if we're not careful, we, we, we're like, there's this little place in my heart that's God's place. Sometimes there's this little place that's my place. Um, there's this trick I've learned. Um, I don't know if y'all have ever heard of this, but when you're having people over the house, if you don't have time to clean the whole house, you just clean the parts where the people are going to be. Right. Have y'all ever heard of this? <laughs> like, it's incredible. Like, we could have more people over now because I've learned this. Oh, I don't clean the whole. Oh, we just got to clean out there. That's all right. We had uh, my kids go to school, and they have a small group in their school, and so the small group was coming over, and Julie and I were hosting because we host their particular small group. It's kind of, anyways, that's all you need to know. We got people coming over, kids coming over, and um, and so we're fixing some stuff in the in the kitchen and getting everything ready for them. And and one of them shows up just a little bit early, no big deal. And Mariah answers the door. It's my daughter answers the door. Well. Um, her mom, many times people come their first time to the house if we've cleaned the whole house. <laughs> Julie may say, hey, I want to see the house if they've never been before, right? This kind of a thing. Um, I don't really get it, but they do. You understand what I'm saying? And so to me, I'm like, eh. That's a, anyways, um, but, so, so we're in the kitchen and we're working on the stuff and Mariah's trying to kill time till the other kids get there. And all of a sudden we hear Mariah say to this other girl, First time she's been to her house. So it was my house. Say, hey, you want to see the whole house? Next thing I hear Julie, not our room. Because <laughs> we crammed everything in there to get the rest of the house clean, right? And unfortunately, listen, that, that's how we are. But you know, have you ever thought about this? Sometimes that's the way we are with God. Like we get one place in our heart real clean and that's where we want to meet with God and that's where we want God to stay and that's where we want God to look and that's all we want God to see and we don't want him to explore the rest of the parts where, where we've got unforgiveness or bitterness or sin or some other kind of issue or pride or something like that. But we just kind of want to keep God in the living room, right? Like it's all clean right there, God. This is the place for you. And I don't know if you know this, but God is incredibly intrusive and once he gets in your house, he likes to explore other places. And he will be in your closet, Is it Halloween? What are all these skeletons? You know what I'm saying? He will be in your closet. Because listen to me, God wants your whole heart. We see the first time in Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength 
Jesus quotes it in Matthew 22. Nine times in Deuteronomy alone, we see serve God with all your heart. Love God with all your heart, right? Joel chapter two says, return to me with all your heart. Psalm 119, almost every verse is about serving God with all your heart or obeying his statutes with all your heart. God wants not part, he wants all your heart. Here, here's the second thing. Second thing, your heart makes a better follower than a leader. Has anyone ever said, oh, you should just trust your heart? Do you know what you should do to people like that? You should slap them. How many of you have trusted your heart and it led you astray? Right? It really, listen, it, it's, it's tricky. That heart is tricky. You, you don't believe me? Don't believe me? Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The human heart is the most. Let's talk about the word most. Do y'all understand grammar? Because when I grew up, there's like, you know, um, good, better, and best. Right? So here, most deceitful. There's deceitful. There's more deceitful. And there's the most deceitful. Are you with me? The human heart is the the most. It could be the human heart's deceitful. That'd be bad. The human heart is more deceitful. Ooh, that's worse. The human heart is most deceitful. Does that leave anywhere else to go? The most deceitful, and then to clarify, of all things. Well, thank you, Jeremiah. This is encouraging. I've got some kind of bomb inside my chest. That's, I've got a terrorist in there. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. And then he says, and just to tack something onto that, and desperately wicked. Not wicked desperately. It desires with tenacity to be wicked. Why do you think in our world today, the more we separate the human heart from the God that created it, the more wickedness we see. The more people become their own source of morality. I, 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 I heard this the other day that, that some psychologists uh, have removed using the word evil from even their sessions because it implies moral judgment. My thought was, do you not know in doing that you've, you've have made a moral judgment? So you're removing a moral judgment by making a moral judgment. And your moral judgment is that there can't be evil, so we're going to remove the word evil so we don't have to make a moral judgment. So we'll make a moral judgment about a moral judgment so we don't have to make a moral judgment. And I'm like, our world, they don't want to deal with evil. Like there are things that are evil. There are things that are evil inside of us. There are things that are not good inside of us. And, and, and the reality of the gospel is there is hope because Jesus comes to deal with the problem of the human heart and no one else can deal with the problem of the human heart. No one else can solve it. No one else can know it. No one else can redeem it. No one else can deliver it. No one else can set it free except Jesus. But when we remove the, remove the human heart from the one that created the human heart, it's always going to end up in wickedness and deceit. Your heart is a trickster. That's why you can't just blindly trust your heart. Some of you blindly trusted your heart into a relationship and you got hurt and you're like, I don't know why everyone's mean. And I'm like, I don't know why you keep following your heart. 
You hear what I'm saying? Jeremiah said, we got a heart problem. He says this, sometimes we don't even know our own heart. I need God's help to even know what's going on inside of me. Are you with me? And and really where this message came from, I thought about Ezekiel 36 and this promise in Ezekiel 36 that says, "I'll, I'll, I'll come and I'll save you and I'll take your heart of stone out and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I thought, this is, this is where we start with God. We start with that heart of flesh. That's why when we first get so saved, when we first get saved, it's like we're so excited about everything. We can read Leviticus and get something out of it. Even the chapter, the whole chapter on scabs. It's like, oh, Jesus healed my scab or something. I don't know. We get something out of that. Right? Because our hearts are so soft. I, where this message came from is several months ago. Um, because as pastors, you know, and you've heard me say this, I think the most detrimental thing to your relationship with God is to become a pastor. And this is something we talk about in pastors' meetings and staff meetings and those type of things. Because we really have to watch our hearts because you can make your relationship with God transactional. In other words, I can read the Bible to know God or I can read the Bible because I have to preach again next week. Right. And so so for me, I actually divide the times. I have a time where where it's me and God, Marty and God. And then I have a time where Pastor Marty studies and I like to keep them separate because I don't want my relationship with God to be transactional. Does that make sense? Because I've learned that you have you have to do this kind of stuff. But but just because and I thought, God, I don't want to be guilty of just going through the motions of everything that I know pastors are supposed to do. And, and those and I was reminded there was a, a, a Christian artist. Uh, his name was Keith Green. I don't know if you guys do you guys remember Keith Green? He's the one that wrote one of my favorite songs, Keith Green songs. You know, oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see you know, for when your eyes are on this child, you know, that one. And, and I love the story that he tells in one of the times he's about to perform that song because he talks about writing it and he talks about writing this letter. And in this letter, he was telling God, God, you got to do something about my heart. And, and he used this phrase and it's just like burned in my, in my, in my mind. He said, God, because I want, I want baby skin on my heart. I want baby skin on my heart. Because have you ever felt a baby skin? Oh, man, I've had three babies. That's some soft skin, right? And you put the powder, it just smells all babyish, right? You know what I'm saying? And you, 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 know, you know, you give them Zerberts and things like that, and they giggle and grin. I mean, it's just, but anyways, the point is, the point is, I want baby skin on my heart. And I was telling God, I'm like, God, I, I want to make sure that my heart hasn't gotten hardened because there's a condition the Bible talks about called the hardness of heart. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about when he says, when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as Israel did in the rebellion. And, and so there's this issue, there's this critical condition in the Bible called the hardness of heart. And, and our hearts can get hard. And I thought, God, I don't want my heart. I, you gave me a heart of flesh and took out a heart of stone. And if I'm not careful, I'll build barriers around that heart of flesh. I'll let it get calluses on. And, and, and I thought about the things that, that cause us to harden our heart is wounds, things we go through. You know, a lot of times we get, even church people, we get hurt by church people, hurt in church. I don't know if this shocks you, but as a pastor, I've, I've been hurt by a few church people. Yeah, sheep bite a lot. And, and um, 
as a shepherd, you get bit a lot and you, you help people and, and they really love you one minute and then they don't like you the next. And so they tell everybody. I don't know why if you're, and y'all may deal with this too, but I found as a pastor, if someone doesn't like you, it's not enough for them not to like you. They try to see how many other people they can get not to like you and they'll form clubs around people that don't like you. I don't know what that helps. And then I still like them. And so, and so I found that, that, that and, and even as church people, you can have bad experiences with pastors and you have bad experiences with leaders. You have bad experiences with other church pastors and you think, well, I'm not going to be vulnerable again. I'm not going to do that again. I'm never going to a life group because I had a bad experience at a life group and I'm not going to get involved because last time I got involved. And, 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 and what happens is we start getting calluses on, on our hearts. And then I thought about sometimes we, we really try to believe God and things don't work out the way we hope they would work out and we get calluses and we get hard. Well, I'm not going to trust God like that before. I'm not going to believe God like that again. I just, and we don't say it out loud. But if we'll listen, we say other things. We change and create new theologies and terminologies and ideas, you know, and, and concepts that relieve us from the tension of trusting God in ways we used to trust God. And then I thought about, well, there's also just, just disregarding the Word of God. Like, well, because sometimes we feel like the Word of God doesn't line up with how we'd like to be. Like, we live in a dangerous culture because I, I have people and have seen, you know, you find YouTube links on anything and people, and, and, and they will sit here and totally skew the Word of God to line up with them and talk about how the Word of God is not right because, you know, and one of the biggest lies we believe nowadays was that human desire somehow equates righteousness and that if I have a desire for something, it must be a right desire. And I'm trying to sit here and think, when is the time of any raw human desire ever led to righteousness? But this is my desire. Well, I have desires too. I've desired to hit people. And I felt very strongly about it. I've desired to do other things that we shall not mention. And felt justified in it. It was my desire. If it was that strong of a desire, surely it was righteous. Nay, nay, buckaroo. Right? That was that evil coming out of the heart. And then I thought about just self-reliance. Sometimes our hearts get hard because we rely on ourselves. We don't make room for God. We don't trust him. That's what happened in the rebellion. He said, don't hearten your hearts when you hear his voice. And he was speaking. And they said, we're not going to trust him. We're going to trust us. And it was self-reliance that actually hardened their heart. And so our hearts can, can become hard if we're not careful. And that's why they're not good leaders. They're better followers. It's, it's, it's better to let them follow the Holy Spirit in us and follow the word of God. So, so it's better that they follow. It's better that they're directed than giving the directions. Here's, here's the last thing. To maximize your life, you must manage your heart. Like if you really want to live the best life you can live, the life that God created and redeemed you for, the life that God has for you that's better than your dream for you, it's better than your plan for you, it's better than your vision for you. If you really want to live that life, then, then the secret is you got to manage this heart because this heart can move you away from it. This heart can move you away from God. So we got we to figure out how to, how to manage our heart. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 15, for out of the heart, look, out of the heart come the evil things. And, and these are the things, verse 20, these are the things that devour a person. So we got to deal with what's coming out of our heart, not necessarily what's going in our bodies. We got to deal with what's coming out of 
Our heart, we have to manage it. We have to listen to it. In fact, Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. Keep your heart. That, that word keep, I thought about this. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a similar word to where Adam was created and put in the garden and, and God said, keep the garden. He put him in the garden to keep it. And I thought about, isn't that cool? Because our heart is soil, according to Luke chapter 8 and Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower, that, that he talks about these four types of soil. Uh, one is, is where it's trodden down, essentially. And so uh, the, 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 the word of God, the seed fell on it and the bird stole it. And then he talks about a stony heart. And so the, the, the seed went there but couldn't get a good root, and so it was scorched by the sun. And then he talks about thorny soil that was choked out by the cares of this world. And then he talked about good soil. And I thought about if our heart is soil, and, and in the garden it was soil, and God said, keep the garden, then I look at, we've got a garden right here, and God's like, keep your heart. Well, what do we need to do? We need to keep the soil conducive for receiving seed. What does that mean? I need to keep it soft. I can't let it get hard. I can't let thorns come in and choke out the word, right? I can't let it be trampled down and, 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 and I have to tend it and keep it so that the word of God, because here's, you know, the coolest thing about, and we'll read it here in a minute from Luke 8, but Mark 4, Luke 8, talk about the parable of the sower. You know, the coolest thing is that the seed produces the fruit if the soil is right. And so many times we're worried about fruit when God wants us to be worried about soil. Because if the soil is right, the fruit will be produced. Because remember, our hearts produce fruit. That's what they're going to do. Are you with me? So it's more about the soil than, 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 than anything when it comes to our responsibility. We don't need to be trying to produce fruit with our lives. We need to be tending soil. Are you with me? In other words, I need baby skin on my heart. I need to keep a soft heart towards God. I need to keep a sensitive heart towards God. I need to tend and keep, I need to manage this heart because this heart is created to produce some fruit. It's created to produce good treasures, right? It's created to do some incredible things, but I got to tend and keep it. And so let me get real, real quick, three ways to keep your heart, three ways all right. Number one is keep it humble. Keep it humble. Um, I, I've met some some I've met some wonderful brothers and sisters in the Lord. And there was one in particular that I did not say it to him, but I thought it. Because I was so tired of all the judgment and the criticism that he just constantly spewed out in loving Christianese. And because we know how to camouflage as that's another thing about being religious, you know how to camouflage sin and make it look spiritual. Like, you know how to call somebody and gossip about, you know, you know how to call somebody gossip about someone else, but make it sound like you're requesting prayer. Don't look at me all holy and pious. Like, hmm, really? That happens. Man, I didn't know that pastor. We need to pray for the pastor. You know what I heard? Yeah. That's called gossip, judgment, criticism disguised as a prayer request. Need to pray for Sally. You know what? I, here's what I heard. I think this is what's going on. You know what her Instagram said. 
So, so we know how to disguise some things, so we have to keep it humble. And in this one gentleman, after listening to all this, what I wanted to say is it must be such a burden to be right about everything. Must be such a burden to be right about everything. And if you're right about everything, let me tell you why. Because you're prideful. Because let me help you with something. You are not right about everything. Like I'm helping you. Right? No one's right about everything. So if you're like, I'm right about everything. No, you're arrogant. Everybody knows it but you. And so when we're talking about a humble heart, here's what I say. Can, can you be wrong? Can you be taught? We, we embrace a value in our staff called teachability, which is, uh, are you willing to learn something you thought you knew? And, and, and when we have a humble heart, it's a heart that's open to change. It's a heart, a heart that's open to being wrong, right? It's a heart that's open for inspection. That's why, do you know this? You can't search your own heart. You can't. I'll tell you this, there was, this is another funny story. You got time for a funny story. Um, I, it's sad, but funny. I, first person we had to invite to, to leave the church, and it doesn't happen a lot, but occasionally you have someone that has a bad spirit, and they can't see it, and you talk to them, you talk to them, you talk to them. They're not getting it. They're causing problems, and we invite them to join another church. Um, it's a, a talk that I lovingly call, I'll see you in heaven, but not next week at Pathway. And, and I don't like to give it. It's with fear, prayer, and truth. So I, I don't want to make light of it. But the first time we ever give this talk, called this person. And, and we went through the whole thing. And, and bottom line, his little wife, and it's so sad. She said, what's the problem? I said, pride is the problem. And that man stood up, red-faced, anger, looked at me, pointed his finger. He said, I have always prided myself on my humility. <laughs> and I said, I believe that's going to be case in point right there. And so the, the idea is when we approach God, we have to have a humble heart, a heart that can be corrected, a heart that can be dealt with, a heart that sometimes we have to be honest enough to say, there's stuff going on in here that's not right and I need help with it. That's why David said this. He said, search my heart and know my thoughts. See if there's anything in me that doesn't please you and lead me in your everlasting path. That's what he said. Because here's the thing, you can't search your own heart because you can trick yourself. Right? Remember, their hearts are tricking them. This is Isaiah. Because their hearts are moving away from God while convincing them they're close to God because of what's going on with their lips. And so your heart can move you away while convincing you you're still close to God. So you need God to search your heart. So you have to keep your heart humble. Here's the second thing. Keep it honest. Keep it honest. This is Luke chapter 8. As, as for the good soil... They are those, remember, this is a parable of the sower. So the soil that produced fruit, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit. There it is, bear fruit. Why? Because they heard the word and they held it fast. So what do we do with honesty? Honesty is how does your heart measure against the standard of God's word? I need to be honest that when the word of God, remember how he said Jesus will offend you? Jesus is the word. I don't know if you know this. The word of God will offend you if you read it enough. It offends me all the time. It tells me I have to forgive people I don't like. I love people that don't like me. Right? I have to give, have to be obedient. Have to, and I'm like, it offends me. Right? 
But that's part of being honest to say, if the word of God is offending me, there must be a heart issue. If there's something I'm reading here that I don't like, there must be a heart issue because remember, I don't, I don't discern, if you will, I don't interpret the word of God. The word of God interprets me. Ephesians 4, quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, pierces the dividing the soul and spirit. And then it says this, discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. Divides the soul and spirit. So that's me and God. It says, this is you and this is God. And you need to come over here because he won't come over there. And then discerns the thoughts and intent. This is why you're really doing what you're doing. So I need a humble heart. I need an honest heart. I keep it humble. Keep it honest. And then here's the last thing. I keep it focused. I keep it focused. Psalm 119 says, I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. I incline my heart. You know what it tells me when David says, I have to incline my heart, that my heart sometimes will decline. He's like, no, I got to set it back up because it'll take off. I have to incline it because it will lay down. Incline is like, I always look at it like trends on a bar graph. Incline means we're growing. Decline means we're not. And it will, it will default to declining, so I have to incline it. So he said, this is what he was saying. I'm going to direct it. I'm going to direct it. I'm going to direct my heart. I'm going to direct my heart towards the things of God. Paul told the Colossians, don't set your mind on things of this earth. Set your mind on things above. I get to direct what I think about. I get to direct where my heart goes. I get to direct. This is what Jesus said. You know, one of the reasons why we give is to direct our hearts. Because he said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. Well, if I want my, if I want my heart following God, my treasure's got to follow God. So the discipline sometimes of directing treasure is what determines where my heart ends up. Are, are you with me? And so, and so if we're going to keep and tend our heart, then, then we focus our heart. We fix our heart. So, so we keep it humble and we keep it honest and we keep it focused. Because you know, here's the thing. If we're really going to serve God, love God, follow God. You're not going to do it without your heart. If you're really going to love God, serve God, and follow God, you're not going to do it without your heart. Because God isn't interested in motions. He wants something more. He wants all your heart. He wants more than motions. Amen. Come on, can you give Jesus praise for his word? Why don't you stand with me and